I'm going to be reading this morning um, from the 33rd chapter of Genesis, verses 1 through 17. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. And Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. And last of all, came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What do you mean by all of these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But but Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, Let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are tender, and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves before me and that of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, Then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. And that is why the place is called Succoth. Well, good morning. I read a quote from an American poet, Carl Sandburg, and he said, Love your neighbor as yourself. But don't tear down your fence between you and your neighbor. The story of Jacob and Esau that we encounter this morning in Genesis 33 is 20 years have passed, 20 years of bad feelings, 20 years of fear for Jacob, 20 years of a time when a blessing was stolen. And now comes a time that we will meet And in this story, we see that Jacob and Esau, 
make some movements towards each other of forgiveness and of reconciliation. And yet we also see that they don't quite tear down the fence between them. One of the questions I have for us this morning as we study this passage, what is it that keeps us from real reconciliation? What is it that keeps us away from one another? What is that fence that is between us that doesn't allow us to move towards each other? You see, the Lord desires that we tear down that fence. The Lord knows in our lives that we have friends and we have family, that we have wounded one another, and that we long to be reconciled. And I know for many of you, like me, there are those where there's still a fence there. And we've been waiting and hoping and wondering, when will we ever be fully reconciled? The Lord desires for us to be reconciled to himself as well as to one another. There's a beautiful teaching in Ephesians 2 about the Jew and the Gentile as they came into the temple courts. And there was a wall that was a barrier wall between them as they came to worship. Let me remind you what the Lord says. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, the Jew and the Gentile, the enemies. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall, the fence of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. And his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. The Lord has created us. The Lord has made us into those who would be ministers of reconciliation, not only to bring us truth to the world who doesn't know truth, but to reconcile with one another because he is the great reconciler. He is the one who has reconciled us to himself through the cross, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And that as we would believe upon him, that we would have eternal life, we would have eternal reconciliation, fallen man, with holy God. That is who he is. And as followers of Christ, that is who we become. Living in the character of God who reconciles. Moving us towards himself and one another. I just want you to take a minute to to sit with your thoughts and go, who is it that the Lord is calling you to, to reconcile with? Who has the Spirit been 
nudging on your heart that you need to go and be right with, made right with. Because trust me, if you're a great sinner like I am, we say things to others and we wound others and we step on others. Sometimes we don't even know. And the Spirit works in our lives to move us towards one another. Who is that person right now in your life? What is keeping you from real reconciliation? Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Spirit would come powerfully this morning into our lives. That you would move us towards one another. That you would help us to hear your Spirit as, a, as he nudges us, as he moves us, prompts us to to reconcile because you have reconciled us to yourself. Lord, I pray that your spirit would stir us if we are just sitting and not responding to you. Because I know you long for us to be right with one another. So do your work in our lives this morning, Father. Move us from this place out of these seats and towards one another, I pray. In your precious name. Amen. Reconciliation requires faith, not fear. Reconciliation scares the heck out of most of us. Because we have to take steps. And we don't know how the person is going to respond. As the story was read by Terry this morning in chapter 33, and as you watch Jacob's life, which is one that wrestles with living in the flesh and living in faith, this story to me seems to be lived out in fear and not so much in faith. Jacob continues the journey of faith, still wrestling with God, and like you and I, struggling with the flesh, struggling with control. And I think the Lord is calling Jacob to a faith to, to trust him, to work in the circumstances with his brother Esau. He's calling Jacob to depend on him, teaching Jacob to, to reach out in love with the love of God towards his brother, who has been his enemy. I think it's interesting as we, as we see Jacob's life, and just a little side note, Jacob's name is changed. He wrestles with God and he becomes Israel. He who strives with God. And in most of the cases when you see a name changed in scriptures the author will continue to write, Abram became Abraham, and then he lists what Abraham has done. With the story of Jacob, you will find that the name Jacob continues to be used more often than Israel. For some reason, God gave Moses that interpretation. And you'll see his life where oftentimes he continues, even though he strives with God, he continues to live as Jacob. And God is wanting him to learn to live as Israel, the one who will strive with him, the one who will continue to wrestle and depend on him. 
as he wants with you and me. He has changed your name. Not only your name, your whole being. He has changed you from within. You are now a new creation as you've learned to follow Jesus Christ. And he wants you to live in your new creation. To live as Israel. Not to keep holding on to the old flesh that controls us. In this scene, I think Jacob is holding on to the flesh still. P.D. James says, Perfect love may cast out fear, but fear is a remarkably potent thing in casting out love. Jacob looked up, and what did he see? He saw Esau and 400 men. That must have been a fearful thing. He saw the dust coming his way. And that's all he saw. And I was thinking as I was studying this passage, when was the last time I saw Jacob look up? And it was when he came to a place and he put his head on a rock. And he looked up in a dream. And what did he see? He saw God. And he saw his angels coming up and down the ladder, out of heaven. And when he woke from that dream, do you remember what he said? He said, surely this must be the place of God. But I didn't see it. And I think that's what's happening right now in this scene. It's still the place of God. But he doesn't see it. All he sees is the 400 men coming towards him. He doesn't see God and his thousands of angels who surround him, the chosen one. There will be the line of Christ coming through him. He doesn't seem to see it now. Reconciliation requires faith. That God is right there with you as you move into that encounter with your friend or your family, instead of living out in fear, not trusting him to do that work. He's living out, not seeing what God is doing in the middle of this. And so he has to take control. And so what he does in verse 2 is he, he sets up the camp and he's like, well, listen, I'll put my maidservants out front. And those kids, and I didn't like them that much, so maybe we'll get them in the front of the camp, and then we'll do Leah and her sons, and then we'll do my favorite, Rachel, and they'll be in the back. So hopefully if Esau comes and he's, and he's going to attack, he won't get to all of us. Maybe just the ones in the front, and hopefully we can flee. He's controlling that situation, that encounter with his brother, where God is wanting him to move towards reconciliation, but he lives in fear and not in faith. We finally see a step of faith, I believe, and I think it's one of the great steps, and it's in verse 3. And you go, yes, Jacob, way to go. And it says, and Jacob moved out in front 
of the camp. And he went and he led in the front to go meet Esau. He stepped out. Not quite sure what's going to be going on. Esau brings us 400 men, probably not quite sure if Jacob's going to deceive him again. But Jacob steps out with some faith, maybe of just a mustard seed, but he goes out in front to meet his brother. And I love that scene. It's something I want to hold on to as a character trait of Jacob, that he stepped out front here. That God is with me. He's told me that. God will keep his promises. He's told me I'm going to inherit this land. He's told me that that I will be blessed with children. He's promised me that his life is with me. But it's fear that keeps us from taking that first step, isn't it? It's pride often that keeps us from moving towards reconciliation. They should be the one to take the first step, not me. They're the one who who hurt me as well. And so our pride pours out and we don't move. What is it that is keeping you from real reconciliation? As you read this story and as you think about your life and as you hear the Spirit, is God asking you to step out in faith and to be the one to take the lead, to go ahead of the camp and to make the effort? Is he calling you to reconcile? Is he asking you to make movement towards forgiveness and peace? Because it requires faith, not fear. Faith says this, I trust, I trust that God is doing a work in this person like he is doing in me. I trust that God has been ministering to this person like he has with me. And here's something that is very true of us. If that person that you are in conflict with is a follower of Jesus Christ, then they have the same spirit that you and I have. And you know what I know of the Holy Spirit? He is going to minister to us and he is going to stir us up because he is living and moving us towards the Lord who is the one who reconciles. And he is helping us to to live out the life of Christ. And so I guarantee you that if that other person is a follower of Christ, the same spirit that's speaking to our hearts is speaking to them. Let God do his work. Let God do his work. Faith says, I trust you, Lord, that you're doing that. I trust you that you can fix this relationship and move us towards reconciliation. I trust that you will give me courage that I need to move towards this person in love. And then once you take that faith step out front, that you don't manipulate that meeting. You don't manipulate the words that are going to be said and and manipulate that person and set up a, a deal so that you won't get hurt and so that you don't have to really enter in so that the fence is still there and you're you're still hammering nails just to protect yourself. It doesn't manipulate the meeting. It says, Lord, I'm going to let you do what you need to do in my life. 
and in that person's life. But I will move because I know that is what you have for me. Because I'm a child of yours. And Lord, you want me to live in reconciliation. And you want me to live in peace with my brothers and sisters. Who's God calling you towards? What is keeping you from reconciliation? Now Jacob falls into the flesh again. Do you tend to do this? We, we trust God and we trust him and we're, okay, Lord, here I go. And then we fall back into, but I, I still have to control this. Look how he does the meeting. In verse 7 and verse 8, he, he comes up to meet Jacob and he's bowing down seven times along the way. And he shows up in verse 8, he says, he says, I present everything to you, my Lord, and I do this that you might find, that I might find favor in your eyes. You see, enemies, enemies would not receive such a gift. If you were to receive a gift like this, it would mean, I will not do harm to you. To bow down seven times before a person is what was done to kings. Somehow, trying to move the situation so that no harm would be done. Your face is like the face of God. Let me say words to you. Let me take actions to you. And I really believe in this story, there is a hint of humility, but I think most of it is he's protecting his life. And he's becoming Jacob, the great deceiver and the great manipulator and the one who will take control and not trust God to guard his life, but trust in his maneuvering to say, oh, if I treat you like a king, if you take the gift, then you won't kill me. And so real reconciliation, that fence keeps getting put back up. All to save his life. What is it that keeps us from real reconciliation? We don't want to be hurt. Isn't that true? We don't want to be hurt. We've been wounded enough, and so we'll do everything we can so that we are not hurt in that encounter. And again, we will control that so that we don't have to face that pain again. When the Spirit is moving us to take a step of faith, and we know that's risky, but we take a step of faith and we move towards our brother, towards our sister, towards our husband, towards our wife. And that risk is there in our minds. Well, what, what if they don't want to make it right? What if I stepped out here on a limb and they're just like, whatever? Have you had that? That hurts. But you still stepped out in trusting God to try to make that relationship right, which is what the Lord wants you to move towards. What if they attack me again, say words that are hurtful? Faith says... I trust God to guard my heart. I seek the favor of the Lord versus of Esau, of men. I'm seeking to live a life that is obedient to Christ versus, 
uh, I want to have favor that you don't hurt me. But I trust God that you're going to do your work, Lord, in this situation. may not turn out like I had hoped, but I'm still going to step out in faith. God moves us to the front, and he moves us in his heart of reconciliation. Reconciliation requires faith, not fear. Reconciliation offers an embrace of love. Verse 4, and I love this verse. But Esau ran to meet Jacob. Esau, the one who was murderous, ran to meet Jacob. And, and did he come with a knife? Did he come with a spear? It's a beautiful scene, isn't it? He ran and he embraced his brother Jacob and he kissed him. And they wept together. It's a beautiful abandon, isn't it? When we can do that. It's a release of anger and resentment. It is, it's a washing of past sin. It's a gesture of love that truly does cover a multitude of sin when we, when we can embrace, when we can offer a gift of love. As I was reading this passage, it just struck me powerfully. I was like, where have I seen this scene before? It's in the Gospel of Luke. And the father, when he saw the son, he ran to him, and the words are almost identical. And he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Esau, in this passage to me, is living out the character of the father, the loving father, offering a gift of love, an embrace of love. The character of the father that we see in the prodigal. Esau's heart had softened over 20 years. God had been doing his work, even on this man who was a full-blown pagan, lived in Canaanite culture. Can you trust God to do a work even on those who maybe don't know him? He did with Esau. The murderous rage have subsided and his gestures show movement towards and a desire for relationship. Esau in this story seems again to show more of the love of God than Jacob is living out at this point. Funny how God will use others in our life to reveal his character sometimes, maybe to convict us in our spirit that this is what he longs for. He reaches out with that beautiful expression of love. There's a story that took place in 1492, and there is in the church in Dublin, in St. Patrick's Church, a door. I wanted to show you a picture of this door. And there's an old Irish expression that is said, what they would say to one another is, you are chancing one's arm, is the Irish expression. And what took place in 1492, there were two prominent families, the 
Kildares and the Ormans. And they were an incredible dispute. And the Kildares had besieged the Orman family and come into town and took control. And so the Ormans won in and they locked themselves into the church of St. Patrick's. And the feud went on and on and the fear and being inside the church and, and there was this battle that kept going. And finally one day, the leader of the Kildare family came to reason and realize, what is it that we're doing? What is this battle that we're in? We serve the same God. We worship the same God. And why is it that we are fighting? And so he yelled into the church from the outside and said, I want you to, to feel free to come out. I want to end this dispute. And the Ormond family inside didn't respond, understandably. And the Kildares kept saying, no, truly, you can come out. We want to be at peace. No harm will befall you. Still no response. So the leader of the Kildare family took his spear, and he took it and started to hack away at the door. And he cut this opening in this door. A little hard to see, but right in the middle there, this narrow opening and he stuck his hand in. And from the other side came a grasp, a clutch. And then the door was opened. And the families became at peace with one another. And then they went to worship God at St. Patrick's together. The door of reconciliation, this is called. And if you've seen it, it's in Dublin in St. Patrick's. Is God calling you to chance your arm? To live in faith that says, I will, Father, trust you. I will reach my arm in because I want to be reconciled. Because I want to walk again with my brother or my sister. You see, reconciliation allows us to travel together again. Esau says, listen, brother, let it be that I would travel with you now on your way. I want to move with you. I want to, to go with you. And, and listen, if I can't, let me give you some men so that they can travel with you. I want to have relationship again. A beautiful offering that Jacob doesn't take. You see, real reconciliation is not lip service. It's not saying, yes, I forgive you, and then running away. Real reconciliation allows us to actually move together again. It allows us to have relationship. It's more than just saying, I'm sorry. You know what that's like with your little children? My little boys, they will, they will hurt each other at times. Sometimes unintentionally, but most times intentionally. And so I, as dad, will grab them and say, I want you to say sorry to your brother because you hurt him. And so they do this. Sorry. And then they run to their room. 
don't they? And then a little time passes and they play together again. Real reconciliation allows you to move towards each other again. Not to run away in fear. Jacob ran the other direction. And not only that, he lied about what he was doing. And he's not trusting God and his promises. You see, Jacob could have said this. Thank you, Esau, for the offer. But God has called me to another place. But I appreciate your desire to move with me. But he doesn't do that, does he? The fence is still up. And so he takes off. He actually goes the opposite direction, sets up camp in Sakath. Real life, real reconciliation moves you towards one another. Loving actions, loving actions do much more to change your feelings and they can communicate in unmistakable terms the reality of your forgiveness and your commitment towards reconciliation. Thomas Edison was working on the incandescent light bulb and it took about 100 hours to put a light bulb together. And they finished one after all this hard work. And he took the light bulb and he handed it to his apprentice, his young apprentice. And he said, take this upstairs to the lab and let us test this. And so the young apprentice took it and he's going up the stairs and the light bulb shatters all over the steps. Thomas Edison said, listen, we're just going to keep working. It's all right. We'll, we'll figure this out. They spend another hundred hours, get all the partners back together working, and they finish the light bulb. And Thomas Edison brings that light bulb, and he hands it to that young apprentice. And he says, take this up to the lab. That relationship, that relationship is what was important. And allowing this young man to be trusted again, offered forgiveness and reconciliation in ways that no words could. It's more than just saying, I'm sorry. It's moving together again. Is God asking you to offer that light bulb? You see... It's not all of a sudden you step in and there's automatic trust and all of a sudden everything is okay, that there's no problems that still exist. It's not that. We know that, don't we? But it is steps of saying, I want to learn to trust you again. And so here is my gift of love because I want to move together again. Husbands and wives... We need to offer this to each other. We need to. Because God wants our marriages to be reconciled. We are to be ones who move in the life of Christ. I want to travel with you. And isn't that what really God says with us? My life is to travel with you. You are a broken sinner. And yet while we were still sinners, 
He died for us. Because he wants to travel with us. Reconciliation recognizes and acknowledges the reconciler. It's the only way we can move. It's the only way we can come in. What is it that keeps us from real reconciliation? We're not trusting the Lord to do his work. We're not understanding that his work is in us. That his work through the cross and through the Spirit is in that other person. He's moving. And his work in that other person is not our job to fix. You get that? We always get to this place of going, well, look what I'm doing in my life to make it right. What are they doing? That's not your responsibility. That is not your responsibility. Let God, through his Spirit, do the work in their lives. We have to come to a place where we recognize the reconciler. A humble place at the foot of the cross that we have been forgiven by our Lord and that he loves us and that that love that we have been forgiven with, that we would extend that to be reconciled to our brother or sister. Lord, you have loved me in my many failures, my many, many, many failures. And you have made me right with you. And that you are quick to forgive when I come to you and say, Lord, forgive me my sin. We have to acknowledge that the Spirit is doing his work. It is only the Spirit again in us that is doing that. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit, Ephesians 2. And the Spirit gives us strength to reach out in this love. We are, each of us, called to reconcile. You may not believe that for some reason. You may think the Lord's not moving me to reconcile. We are all, as followers of Jesus Christ, called to make it right with our brother and sister. As Matthew 5 reminds us, Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, if you're coming to a place of worship to worship your God, and you remember there that your brother has something against you, leave that gift. Leave it in front of the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother because that's what the Lord wants. This is Jesus talking. And then come and offer your gift. The Spirit is moving you towards reconciliation. How will I know? How will I know? We know because the Spirit prompts us. How will I know when it's the right time? Because the Spirit is alive in us. And He moves us. What if they don't respond? Let God do their work. Jacob didn't respond, did he? You know, the only time we see Jacob in this reconciliation is the very end of his father's life, Isaac's life. Jacob and Esau are brought back together to bury their father. It's really at that time when everything is stripped away. So sometimes, maybe for the other person, It needs more time and more things to be stripped away. But leave that door open, would you? How many times do you go and and offer reconciliation? 
as often as the Spirit is moving you. If they're not going to respond, and or if they just say to heck with you, then you back off. But let the Lord do some work. And would you leave a door open? Maybe occasionally a phone call to say, you know what? I was just checking in, see how you're doing. I miss our friendship. Leave a door open. How many times? That's through the leading of the Spirit. But let us as a family, as children of God, let us be committed to reconciliation. That we will love each other with the love of Christ and be at peace with one another. Amen.